When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Ralph Powell, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Welcome to Real Vision's Adventures in Crypto. I'm Ash Bennington here with Real Vision co-founder and CEO, Raul Pell. We're going to jump right in and get to it. Raul, obviously, it's been a volatile and tumultuous time in digital assets, in cryptocurrency. Lots of fear, lots of pain. What's happening, Raul, in your view right now? So I think the first piece of advice that everybody needs to understand is that if you can't deal with a 60% drawdown from peak to trough in your bag, you shouldn't be in the space. We've all made it absolutely clear that this space is all about volatility. And that volatility feels terrible when it's happening. But when you zoom out, the volatility is the thing that gives the upside as well. As I've talked about, this is the fastest growing adoption of any technology in all history. But technological adoption doesn't happen on a day-to-day -day basis. It happens over time. So you need to zoom out and say, what is happening in the space here? And what's happening in the space is we're seeing a huge amount of activity. There's a huge amount of drama on a daily basis. But over time, we've been in a big, sloppy range. And that big, sloppy range is an up and down 50 60% range. That's been driven by macro. And I've said this for a long time. Crypto and macro are joined at the hip. Now, people talk about correlations right now. It's just a risk asset. It is right now. Why? Because the actual thing that everybody's picking up is the withdrawal of liquidity by the Federal Reserve. Right. The withdrawal of liquidity is what is moving this. So you take liquidity out, the price of assets goes down. It's also, if you remember, I explained to people that during quantitative easing, you are debasing the value of the denominator the purchasing power of fiat versus scarce assets. But right now, we're essentially tightening. So then you're rising the value of the denominator and asset prices fall. So that is happening. But crypto is really in this big, broad range. That's driven by the other macro factor, which is inflation. At two levels, one is crypto is a long duration asset. So therefore, you have to discount it by the future expected inflation rate, which means that it comes down, much like technology stocks, which is why it's correlated to the NASDAQ and growth stocks. But also, inflation has a different impact on this space than many other spaces, because it's really a retail phenomena. And investors, average people, have seen their purchasing power, their spending power go down, because inflation is running at 8.5%. And wage growth is running at 5.5%. So they've got negative 3% earnings. So that means it's harder to cover their bills. If it's harder to cover your bills, you put less dollar cross averaging or whatever it is into crypto. So what you've done is slowed down network growth, i.e. less participants in the network. 
and you've got the re-rating of the asset, both due to the Fed balance sheet and due to the impact of long-duration assets. So at this point of time, it is highly correlated. And we are in this kind of liquidation phase in the global economy where everybody's struggling with the fact that growth is imploding, economic growth is imploding, and that's hitting every position everybody's got. And my view is that growth is going to go down sharply, and that is going to start bringing down inflation expectations very rapidly. And we're starting to pick this up in the bond market. The bond market has started now to rally when the equity market's been falling. Before, they were both falling together because inflation was the fear. But the bond market's starting to signal that that has changed. Right. That now is the moment that the growth story is more terrifying than the inflation story, and inflation is probably behind us. It's early phase yet. So if that is the case, and that would imply that the Federal Reserve may get another couple of hikes in max before they pause, because I think the US economy has already gone into recession. I think Europe's in recession, China's in recession. I think if that's the case, then we see these risk assets fly because inflation expectations come down and rates start coming down. So, but in this period, in the middle, is when everybody's scrambling to protect themselves. And that's when, you know, maximum fear is going on. And then you throw in always in a bear market, whether it's equities or whether it's in crypto, you throw in the old terminology that when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming with no shorts on. And that happened to be Luna. Yeah. And we will see the same in the equity market. Somebody's going to go bust or the bond market. Somebody's going to go bust. That's very typical of the final stages. I also note that on Twitter, it's become monkeys flinging poo at each other, and everybody's losing their minds because everyone's stressed, right? It's a recession. Everyone's losing money. That kind of mass anxiety is more of a signal that we're at the end of a move than the beginning of a move. Yeah. Uh, and since we're here live on Friday morning, uh, looking at price action, Terra Luna right now, it's got four leading zeros before the price, uh, uh, followed by uh, 413. I'm not sure what that means. It just means it's down 99.7%. I mean, that's a heartbreaking situation, right? It's one of the biggest protocols that completely imploded. And there are a lot of reasons why it happened. Um, some of them are that I think the team did not listen to others who said, you've got, a, you've got a death spiral in this. And they were trying to address it by moving towards having Bitcoin as collateral and creating this new um, liquidity pool. But the announcements and having the Bitcoin before the liquidity pool was, was created, created this extreme fragile point. So what happened with this was that Essentially, without the full liquidity pool and the um, LFG sitting on $3 billion of Bitcoin that they were supposed to use to stabilize the price, somebody only needs to sell $350 million of, um, of UST to essentially create a situation where UST, to keep the peg, which is the stablecoin UST, they would create more Luna. And in normal condition, that works fine. But with 350 million, what happened is it breaks the peg because there was not enough liquidity because the pool wasn't set up. 
So they have to start automatically via the algorithm issuing Luna, but they then needed to deploy their Bitcoin. So they start selling the Bitcoin into a falling market, which starts driving down the price, which starts then moving down the price of Luna, which starts moving the peg and the whole lot go into an entire death spiral. And it happened at a rate that I think shocked absolutely everybody. Yeah. It started over the weekend and by Tuesday it had gone to zero, which is probably the fastest wealth destruction in history in the shortest period of time in one specific thing. Obviously, the stock market going down 10% is a much bigger deal, but it was enormous and a lot of people lost a lot of money. Um, so it was a sad day. But my view on all of this is this space is really a real-time VC experiment that trades. Now, it happened to be a very big VC project. We're all watching We Crashed right now. It's kind of a similar thing, right? It's not really ready for market. Its market cap was too big, really, for the stage of experimentation it was at. Nothing wrong with experimentation, nothing wrong with failure. But when you bring so many people down, that was not good. Um, but what happens is we've now tested this idea again of algorithmic stablecoins. Every single one has failed so far. And so what it's going to lead us to do is think, OK, is this the right mechanism? The market then started testing the tether peg and saying, well, is this the weak one? Now, that's a very typical market reaction. Got blown up on one thing, test the other thing. So tether was trading below parity for a while. I don't know where it is today. But what was interesting is the flows going into USDC. So the market is making the adjustment that was very necessary, which is, OK, there's too much risk in the weaker parts of the system. Let's go to the stronger parts. And that moving from weak hands to strong hands is actually very, very good for the space. The next thing that Luna's going to do is create regulation. And everybody's like, really? We didn't need this. But I've always argued that if you want to wrap the US dollar, which is somebody else's property, and move it around the world, they will have something to say about it. And that works with all currencies. And this is this nexus between central bank digital currencies and the private sector. I think the US will allow stable coins, but regulated stable coins. And that will be Paxos's USD, and it will be um, uh, USDC, and some of these fully regulated, well-backed, very transparent projects. Yeah. And they will try and stop stuff like Tether over time to say, we don't want this in the US system if you want to interface with our currency and our economic system, i.e. US citizens won't be allowed to use it. And the EU will, will do similar. So again, I don't actually mind that regulation because it cleans up the space and allows for larger scale adoption because the regulators become more comfortable with the space overall. Yeah, Rao, precisely to your point, uh, Terra, uh, uh, excuse me, Tether, let's start with Tether. Tether trading at par right now. This is USDT uh, on my screen at $1. Terra USD, this is UST that you referred to earlier, off about 80%, trading at 11 cents. Yeah, exactly. So um, overall, these things are painful. It is early stage VC playing out in front of our eyes. And that is that is terrifying for some, because it's hidden in a VC portfolio, right? Tons of companies go to shit. And some of them are quite big, but the VC takes all the risk. Here, the risk is shared with with global participants. So And you I, don't see a print on your screen. No, you never see a print on your screen. So you never see the drama that unfolds. I mean, having run a startup, 
the drama is endless. <laughs> you know, are we going bust? Are we going to be billionaires? Are we going bust as an endless cycle? Um, and, you know, that's what plays out in the token space. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, you know, the other thing uh, I thought about, Rao, uh, with this talk of breaking pegs, uh, I was thinking about you and the Asian financial crisis. I was made reference to the Thai bot the other day. Give us some context uh, from what you learned at your days on the desk at Goldman during that crisis. Well, first, my first period in the markets, I was doing an option training course in 92. And it was a live training course. We didn't have real positions, but it was live markets. I had no idea that it was the Sterling ERM crisis and it was FX options. I had the largest loss in the history of the course that day. <laughs> <laughs> because sterling had been forced out. So that was a peg, peg to the European basket, of which the UK, to defend the peg, much like Luna had to print new Luna, the UK had to raise interest rates to such an unsustainable level that eventually they had to give up supporting the pounds. So they were basically trying to buy pounds in the open market, and they couldn't afford to do it. And the pound collapsed, and George Soros famously, or it's actually Stan Druckenmiller, famously made a fortune. Yeah. Black Cut West. forward to the Thai bar in Asia, because they're all mercantilist nations, i.e. They're, they're export nations that um, are tied to global trade. So they need to peg their currency to the U.S. dollar, because the U.S. dollar is, is, it, 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 it is the currency of global trade. So with that situation, that's all fine and good until things go wrong. And when things go wrong, things go wrong very quickly. So same situation as the UK is suddenly these currencies, starting with the Thai baht, couldn't afford to maintain the pegs of the dollar. So the stability, 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 stability crash, which is one of the things that I've talked about is suppressed volatility tends to lead to hypervolatility. And that's, that's how it plays out. That spread all across Asia. And every currency peg went, except one, which was the Hong Kong dollar. And the HKMA were very famous for this. So I was at Goldman at the time seeing what was going on, which was like everybody in the equity derivative world, so all of the big hedge funds, were shorting Hang Seng futures in gigantic size. Meanwhile, they were calling up the FX trading desk and selling the Hong Kong dollar peg. So selling Hong Kong dollars, because what was happening is every time they pushed the Hong Kong dollar, interest rates were going up and the equity market was collapsing. And it was a self-reinforcing loop. And the hedge funds were having a blast, just, you know, just trashing this entire system, forcing the Hong Kong um, Monetary Authority's hand. But the Hong Kong Monetary Authority changed the rule book. They just went out and bought the stock market, squeezed all the shorts, and destroyed everybody's P&L, and said, there you go, lads, take that. You don't, you don't fuck with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. <laughs> it, 
<laughs> it was an amazing moment in time. Yeah, people lost a lot of money, but you know, yeah. you know, but that is the battle that goes on. And yeah. the battle here was the one. And what what that is is the free markets testing weaknesses, structural weaknesses in the system. It's yeah. not a bunch of nasty people doing nasty things. It is basically testing, doing what free markets do, which is if if there is a structural problem in the economy, exposing it and getting it turned into something better. Yeah. Ralph, I could keep you talking about Soros and Druckenmiller and the Hong Kong Monetary Authority all morning, but I know you have charts that you want to get to mm. to walk through specifically what you see happening right now. Yeah. So people want to know, you know, what's happening. I can see everyone gets lost in the price action. Oh my God, particularly these big wicks down that happen. So I'm just going to run through my general set of charts that frame everything for me. So let me just share my screen here. Okay, to zoom out, this is Bitcoin since inception on Bloomberg 2010 on a log chart monthly with the 60-month moving average, exponential moving average. And I've said for a long time, exponential moving averages are the best way of looking at exponential logarithmic trends. So there's the trend of Bitcoin, and basically we're getting very close to the 60-month moving average, which is at about 24,000. Do we get to 24,000 or not? I don't know. Doesn't need to get there, but generally in bear markets, we've tended to test it. We didn't test it in 2011, but we tested it in 2014, 15, and 18, 19. So that's the trend of the actual adoption of Bitcoin. Um, well, since this is going out to everyone, not just our pro subscribers, I think this is such an important chart. Explain a little bit what we're looking at here, because it's so compelling to see the shape of this chart. The y-axis we're looking at here is logarithmic. So you see equal changes represented by equal moves in space. I mean, this is just an extraordinary chart. Yes. And it shows it doesn't look dramatic here, because everything on a linear chart looks dramatic. And you'll see the linear charts in a sec. Right. What it shows you is really network adoption. Mm. This is the adoption of the network that drives the value of Bitcoin. And I'll show you a chart in a little bit. I've done a lot of work on how to value Metcalfe's law you know, network models. And they're basically valued at the value, the value transacted, the value, so the number of dollars transacted in a week or a month, times the number of active users. Those two things define the value of the network. It doesn't come out with a full dollar input, but it actually describes the price. And, and um, I'll show that chart uh, in a little bit. So what this is showing is the adoption of this technology. And it shows how fast it's been adopted. Since 2015, it's gone up 60x. And that is a function of, of, of the, the rapid growth of this space. And the exponential moving average is just the moving average that captures the overall trend. So it shows the smooth trend minus all the drama, <laughs> because the space is drama. So let's look at the drama chart. <laughs> so the drama chart, oh, no, first, I also use another way of just zooming out is I use a regression chart on the log chart. And these lines are, the red is the average. The grays are the one standard deviation overbought and oversold versus average, and the greens are two standard deviations. Because this is exponential to the upside, we tend to get these spikes that go two standard deviations overbought to the upside, which gives you very high price projections, like a million dollars right now. Whether we get there on this 
uh, in the next bull market or not. Who, who knows? The point being is it rarely ever drops below one standard deviation oversold. It did in 2020 in that spike in March where we all got long, and it's doing it now. Mm. So it says, okay, the network is now pretty cheap versus its trend. We know that also from the exponential moving average. We're very close to that. So we're like, okay, the network is relatively cheap versus its adoption and trend over time. So now onto the drama charts. So that's what it looks like when you look at it without a log chart. It's like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. And everyone's saying it's a massive head and shoulders top. If you were to draw the head and shoulders top, you measure from the very top to the neckline, it would give you a price target of zero. <laughs> um, it doesn't work in these exponential trends. But that's what it looks like. It's like, oh my God, this could get really ugly. But I actually think the picture is different. I actually think what we're doing is forming another wedge, which is a corrective pattern, and that we hit the bottom of the wedge. And that normally would mean we would rise to the top. I'd like to see generally three touches um, of, the, of the wedge. We had three on the downside. We would touch it again on the upside, generally pull back into the range, and then we go. That was exactly the kind of pattern that we had in March 2020. Uh, we were at the top of the range. We've shot straight back into the middle of the range. That was the buy signal. So it doesn't mean we're going to go up in a straight line from here, but we probably go up significantly, maybe touch the top of that channel. So maybe we get to 35,000, come back down somewhere, whether it comes back to the low or somewhere in the middle, and that will be the final signal. That's what I'm thinking. Now, to show that in different terms, here's ETH, and this is on the log chart of ETH. And ETH, again, the usual chart looks dramatic. This chart looks like it's been in a big sloppy range. It never, even with all the drama, 8.5% interest rates, war in Russia, Luna going bust, it still didn't come to the low of 2020. Maybe it still does. I think it's highly unlikely. And I think it's highly unlikely because of the DMARC counts. I use DMARC as my technical indicators. They're very complicated to explain, and I don't fully understand how the voodoo works. But basically, what you've got is a nine signal, which is, tends to be a very good buy signal. Now, full reversals, you like to see nines and then 13s. If you see at the top of the chart, we got a full reversal on the daily, which is the nine, the 13. When the 13 came into play, the market plummeted. So a nine tends to be a correction in a, um, in a trend. So it's saying that we've probably got a decent correction, much like I've just been saying on that chart, we probably rally up to the top of the trend line or somewhere close to it. Whether we get to the full top or not, I don't know. But when I zoom out to the weekly, which I think is important, we're not there with a weekly nine. We had one good weekly nine signal, which was at the beginning of the year, which got me excited to think, could we get to the low? We saw a good rally, but it's come back down again. So we're going to count down to another nine, I think. That nine should come into play by June, which is what I've been talking to everybody about. I see the same in the bond market. I see the same in the equity markets is we are very close to this big turn, which is, I think, the Fed going on pause sometime in June. So I would give it the probability that we bounce from here for a week or two. We go back down, test the low, whether we make a new low or not, I'm indifferent. That would give us a, a nine count somewhere by early June, which would be the full buy signal. I think the low is in, can't 100% confirm it. 
sometimes the market likes to freak people out and go a bit lower. So that's what I'm looking at in the whole equation. Um, and so that, that is my general framework here. Now, what have I done personally? Because everybody wants to know. Um, I've done nothing apart from trying to find spare coins behind the sofa to buy more crypto. Because if we are in a um, at the lower end of the range of the logarithmic trend, if we're near the exponential moving average, which is always encapsulated price, then we should be have a larger propensity to buy than to sell. And this is exactly at the time when everybody else is trying to sell because they're fearful. I mean, the number of diamond hand people that I knew who've become slightly paper handed in the last few days because they're like, Terra Luna is a systemic. What's going on? Oh, my God, everything's going to hell. Um, it's been very interesting to me. People I know, you know, very good friends of mine, getting a little bit panicky. And I think it's not the time to panic. I think it's time to do the opposite. I just want to share quickly one other chart with you which is a chart just Remy just pinged me over, actually. This is the network adoption model chart that I've started building for GMI. And Remy and I did a lot of work. And this is basically the, the, the value of the transactions times the number of users. I mean, look what a good fit that is for valuing the network. Right. It's extraordinarily useful. So, so this essentially me. just shows as user growth uh, increases, you see price move uh, at this as extraordinary correlation. The, obviously, one number is much bigger, which is the total value transacted. So that's right. the biggest driver. And the, then the multiplier is number of active people. So if you yeah. think about what that means is if you've got a network with one participant doing a billion dollars a day, it's actually worth less than a network with a million participants doing a billion dollars a day because it's the it's the maturity, the saturation, the depth of the network that's super valuable. So Bitcoin still, according to the network value model, still transacts more per week or month than Ethereum does. People look at Ethereum number of transactions, but it's a red herring. It has to be the total value transacted. Ethereum users are now, I think, above Bitcoin users in terms of active addresses. But it's the big driver is the Ethereum network doesn't transact the, the absolute total size and volume that Bitcoin does. I expect that to change because we've seen uh, a much larger growth in the, in the Ethereum network over time than we have in the Bitcoin network. Yeah. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Raul, you mentioned uh, this notion of your expectation of the Fed uh, backing off the tightening. Give us a little bit of context of what you're thinking about there when you see this uh, sort of Scylla and Charybdis between worries about growth on the one hand uh, and inflation on the other. So we're at the nexus now of everybody worrying about both. Right. So every position gets taken out and shot because no position is right for, for that. Because all the cyclical stocks that were okay for, for inflation suddenly look terrible. The mining stocks, everyone panics out of. There's a liquidation. So we're seeing a lot of that. The dollar's super strong. 
The rate of change of interest rates is the largest rate of change in all recorded history. The tightening of money, monetary conditions, from my perspective, which includes the, the rise in commodity prices, the rise in the dollar, uh, the, uh, the rate of change of interest rates, mortgages, all of this stuff, I think it's the fastest, largest monetary tightening ever. And the, the forward-looking indicators of the economy are imploding. It's not in the headline numbers yet. That is going to come very fast. So things like the ECRI weekly leading indicator year on year is now negative. It's telling us we're going straight into recession. I was thinking there might be a pause where recession comes later, but I think we just go straight into recession. And I think it's going to be short and sharp. That's my most likely outcome. Mm. Like we had a short and sharp recession in 2020, short and sharp growth period in 2021, a short and sharp recession 2022, 2023. Uh, and, and this is all recovery from the pandemic situation. So I think we've got a volatile economy. Um, so what does that mean for the markets and the Fed is I think that the markets probably continue to sell off until the bond market tells them enough is enough. And the bond market started giving signals. This is what happened in 2018. 2018, the market started puking. Eventually, the oil market gave up. The dollar was super strong. Rates had gone up a lot. Then rates stopped going up and started falling quickly to say, OK, enough. And the rates lead the Fed. Soon as rates start moving, the Fed's going to go, wow, OK, growth's coming. We're seeing the tech companies already laying off people. There's layoffs about to come, uh, I think, on large scale. And we're going to see this negative growth. That moment, the Fed will say they'll do one or two more so that whether they do May and June or May, June, July, don't know. And then they'll say, we'll monitor the situation. That monitoring the situation is the end of the cycle, which is what happened in 2018. It was known as the Powell pivot. And I think they have to stop because they're going to destroy everything. So that signal of when they stop, and they won't move straight to easing. They will move to, we're just going to monitor things, to we're probably going to um, to expand the balance sheet, or we're going to stop QT, to we might need to expand the balance sheet because the credit market's really unhappy, to, oh, my God, we need to cut rates and expand the balance sheet and do fiscal stimulus, right? That's the rule book that's likely to play out here. Now, it's not 100% certainty, but it's probably the rule book, in which case they start debasing the currency. And I think that... Crypto, gold, tech stocks will start sniffing this out. And that is my focus. These turning points, mm. I, I really like these turning points. There's a lot of money to be made. So the turning point would be to buy crypto, to buy bonds, probably to buy gold, because gold does well in that environment, and to buy tech stocks. And that's what I'm setting up as the big macro trade. Uh, and so this crypto sell-off exactly fits in with a big macro framework narrative. Uh, much like it did in March 2020 as well. Yeah. Well, we're coming up now on the 40-minute mark. I know we have limited time. We wanted to jump in and do this flash update here live on Real Vision. As we come to the conclusion of this talk, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with? The key takeaway is don't use leverage. I've told everybody that a thousand times. I mean, you know, don't use leverage. Realize that this is a long-term investment, so don't treat it on a short-term basis. You know, you're in the space. If you're going to follow those kind of long-term charts that I use, then you're in the space for five years plus. So in which case, you shouldn't be changing your position at all except adding to it in these extreme weaknesses. 
and go and take a walk. Just Twitter is a toxic mess right now because mm. people are people are hurting and people are confused and people are scared. So people are accusing each other of everything. Just walk away from that and realize that being in it for the long run, accepting the volatility as your friend will give you the exponential opportunity. But don't don't overcommit yourself. Make sure that you can afford what you commit and keep a cool head and always zoom out. Yeah. I guess beyond that, uh, Raoul, the only thing to add is that we're going to be continuing to cover all of this here on Real Vision on the macro side, uh, capital market side, and also on the crypto side, of course. Exactly. Macro and crypto are the same thing. Anybody who thinks they're not is lying to themselves. So all of the macro guys are like, I'm not interested in crypto. Well, forget it, because it's going to change your entire industry. All of the crypto people said, well, why do I care about you know, TradFi? That's a bunch of old, sorry, guys, you're all in the economy together, and you better get used to it. <laughs> Ralph, as always, thank you for joining us. Great to see everybody, and good luck, everybody, and don't stress yourselves out. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to Real Vision Crypto. For more great crypto content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.